I'm Beth Whitworth, race car driving, quilt making, CPA firm owning, wife, mom, and boss. I'm here to help you build a business you love by sharing all of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the excellent sides of working in this industry. It's not always easy, but after many years, I can finally say it's worth it. Let me guide you on your journey to accounting with confidence. Welcome to the Accounting with Confidence podcast. I'm Beth, and I am recording this in the very last week of the year. We are winding up 2022, and it's time to get ready for most of us in this industry for the busy season. And it's super, super hard sometimes to get pumped up for it and really get a positive outlook on what we're going to be doing for the next three and a half to four months. So I wanted to take the time this week and talk about some things that I think you can still do before the end of the year or before tax season really kicks in to make tax season not suck so much. You know, the year end is a time for reflecting and planning and sort of making a decision on on how you think next year is going to go. A lot of people will make resolutions. But for me, I want to focus on the ability to take that tax season that always hits at the very beginning of the year and make it the best that it can be. Because I've had some really bad ones. And a lot of times those bad ones were because I didn't make a plan. I had more work than I really knew how to schedule. I There were skills I just didn't have. So I have gotten to the point where I want to help other people figure out how to keep their tax season from something that they dread. You know, it is not fun to think you're going to spend the first quarter of the year, a whole quarter of the year in a situation that you don't enjoy. We're gonna talk today about some things that I think you can still do, mostly related around some calendar activities to make the 2023 tax season or or any tax season after this better than it was before. The IRS doesn't do us any favors by cramming so many deadlines into that first three and a half months of the year. And it is something that over the past two or three years has gotten even crazier with legislation that passed during a tax season, extended tax season. So it kind of blew everything out of the water of saying, oh, everything really ends on 415 and I get my life back. Well, for a couple of years, they extended it. You know, July 15th, May 15th, it was all over the place. And during that time is when I learned a few skills that has completely revamped my opinion on how I handle the workload during tax season. So I'm going to share some of those with you today. And the very first step I have is relating to looking forward and scheduling some days off. And I want this to be something that you are scheduling as days off from work completely. Whether that is next year's vacation that you you know you always take a vacation in June, put it on the calendar. Maybe you don't even know where you're going to go yet, but you want to block those days off. 
Maybe it's just that you want to have some long weekends, whether it's after tax season or during tax season. There is no law that says you cannot take a day off during tax season, especially if you're in business for yourself. You know, even in my firm, we I allow my team to take time off during tax season. They can't take a week-long vacation. Really, I have my policy set up where they can have no more than two days off in a row. So that allows them to take a long weekend. It, it puts, you know, it, they could take a Thursday, Friday, and then be off on Saturday and Sunday. But there is a time where when I was in public accounting before I owned my own firm, you weren't allowed to take any time off during tax season. And what a disservice that was to me and to all the employees of those firms. You need time off. You need time to really get a sense of not working. You know, you you need to let your brain relax. And even during tax season, probably more importantly, during tax season, you should have some time off. So you need to really look at your calendar, go in and block off those days. Maybe it's June, maybe it's July, maybe it's next December when you know that you want to take, you know, the whole week of Christmas off or whatever that is to you, go put them on the calendar. This is going to help your mind realize that there's something to look forward to, that there will be some downtime and that you won't be working all the time. It's a little bit of a mental exercise to be making a plan for yourself that doesn't involve work. But you have to put them on your calendar and you have to block them off, especially if you're in any situation where you are sharing a calendar because there could be other people on your team that help schedule appointments or want to schedule something with you or, you know, if you own the place and you have a team of people, they may want to be taking some time off too and you want your time to be blocked first so that in case it's just inconvenient to have, you know, the whole team can't be off the same week or whatever circumstances you might have with scheduling. But if you put it on the calendar, it makes it real. It makes it, you think about it before you change it. So early on, once in my career, once I, I got to the point where I was a partner in a firm and definitely once I was owning my own firm and I was the only partner, I started taking the whole week after the tax deadline off. So no matter what day the April 15th deadline fell on, I would take the remainder of that week off. And the only time that became kind of a a bummer was when it fell on a Friday. But otherwise, I would say, okay, if the 15th falls on, you know, a Monday or a Tuesday, we typically would only work until about noon on the day of the deadline. And then the rest of the week, I would take off. Now, we always offer the day after tax day for the team to take off. That's a a business holiday for us. It is a firm holiday. But I would also go so far as to take the rest of the week. And I did that for many, many years. And it was something that I could really look forward to. I could know that that was blocked on my calendar and I would could schedule a lunch with a friend. I could plan on working on some quilting projects. I could do anything during that week because it was almost never a week where we would schedule to go out of town because after a busy season like that, when you come out of that, you just 
you know, want to relax and not have deadlines or schedules or anything that you necessarily have to do, but make it a week of what you want to do. Now, over the past couple of years, it really kind of got out of hand because during the pandemic with the extended tax deadlines and the changes to the tax laws and the PPP and the ERTC and all the things that we were focusing on, I really did not get to take that time. I found it in other places, you know, later in the year, but I think this year I may go back. I'm going to I'm going to go schedule that. You know, I need those days after tax season is over. And I think any days that someone is scheduling should be sacred on your calendar. So if you're taking your time to take care of your mental health. The second thing that I feel that helped me tremendously once I started doing this was to block off one business day a week that I called my overflow day. Now, originally, I started this plan with a thought of, I really only want to work four days a week. Well, during that busy time, you really don't always feel like you can only work four days a week. And so I started with this, and and I actually pick Fridays. Fridays are my overflow days. And what that means to me is that I block every Friday off as if I am already busy. So I just put it on my calendar, and it says no appointments. And that way, nobody can get an appointment with me unless I override that You know, nobody can jump in through our scheduling software. My administrative assistant can't schedule an appointment with me. Another team member can't plan a a meeting with me to go over anything. It is blocked and that the only way you can get on my calendar is if I approve it and override it. And the purpose of the day is to really have it for the overflow. So you don't always have control over how long a project is going to take during your week. And as you're working through things, you think, oh, I can just knock that out. And then what happens? You you get into a, a section of it that you weren't expecting. It was something that really threw things kind of off the rails and the project's gonna take longer. Well, that's okay because I have this overflow day on Friday that if I need to get that project done, I can still do it even if something comes up because I know that nobody has jumped onto my calendar without me knowing about it. And I schedule these Fridays, I have it blocked off for the entire year. So even if we're not super busy, I am still able to have that overflow day. And some of those days, that's when I'm scheduling, you know, to get my hair cut or a doctor's appointment. But Most of the time, it is to just know that I don't have a time-locked commitment to anything at work. I can use that day to catch up on other things, whether it's personal things or projects during the week that didn't get done or things that came up during the week that while I was working on Monday through Thursday, I couldn't get to them. There were things that popped up from you know emails that came in from clients or issues that came in from the team or whatever those things might be, I can know that I can schedule some time on Friday to do those. And that's been a huge, huge change to, I guess my really my whole outlook and my mindset about tax season is that I know that every Friday is 
in my control. And that's the beginning of really having the boundaries with your clients and your team is that you make your Friday a sacred time or whatever day. It can be a Monday. It can be whatever day of the week you want that you know that that is completely in your control and nothing can hop onto your calendar without you knowing about it. And it also gives you a day where if you need some downtime, you need some relaxation, you need a day where you just need to catch up on some sleep or extra exercise, or it's a sunny day and you want to get out in the sunshine, you can be out there and use that day for some downtime without guilt, without having to reschedule anything. There are things that come up during tax season that can be exhausting. And to know that you have someplace that every week you could schedule in some actual time to take a break, to even if it's not the whole day, to really spend some time with some self-love. So I would say that has been a huge key. I've probably probably been doing that for more, definitely more than two years. It may be going on three that I have scheduled my Fridays to you know, be my overflow day. Now, like I said, I started this out as I really wanted to work four days a week. But how it really works best for me is knowing that Friday becomes an overflow during busy season, and it could be a day off during the rest of the year when I'm not so busy. It's also the time on a for me on a Friday, if I'm going to be traveling with my husband to go to a race, or we're going to be going out of town, a lot of times we're leaving on a Friday. So that keeps me from having to worry that I have something scheduled on that day and I won't be able to just up and go out of town on a Friday. So that's that's what works best for me. Now, the next thing that I did as kind of an offshoot from this, and you may not be ready for it, and it doesn't mean that you couldn't try it before the end of the year, but what I ended up doing about, I want to say it was probably during the pandemic, I would think, and I went to essentially not taking any live phone calls. And I know you might be thinking, oh my gosh, what do you mean? Somebody wants somebody to answer the phone. Well, in my firm, I do have more than one person. So I do have someone who is assigned to answering the phones. So what I mean by that is I keep my phone on do not disturb, which means nobody can get directly to me. Uh, They get to my voicemail. My voicemail leaves them a message that says, if you would like to schedule a call with me, and then I give them a link to our booking site where they can schedule a a call. And even my admin knows if someone calls and they're looking to schedule an appointment, that she will schedule it through our booking app. And what that does is it shares with my calendar So all those times that I put on there, whether it was for a day off or whether it's for my Friday overflow day, those are already blocked off on my calendar. So those aren't available for anybody using this calendar link. And it keeps me completely in control of my calendar. And that, that is kind of the pinnacle for me. And the thing that moved the needle the most for me as far as productivity and time management was having control of my calendar. 
We have settings inside this app that you can set to, you know, how soon they can book, how far out they can book. I now do not have anybody that can hop on a call with me with less than 24 hours notice. So that has changed the game. And it does two things. It allows me to be prepared for any call that does come in and give it my 100% attention. And it gives the client that time when they have me 100%. I am focused on them and that's what they want. Well, when someone calls and you pick up the phone and you're in the middle of doing a, a big tax return or reconciling somebody's bank statement and you feel that you need to pick up that phone and, and talk, you just did a disservice to the client you were working on by being in the middle of it and taking something that distracted you. And you're doing a disservice to the person on the phone because you aren't 100% there. You don't even know what they were calling about. And you may or may not be able to you know, give them the time that they really want. So I recommend this as, as a something to get to, even if you're a solopreneur. Now that sounds like, oh my gosh, what if I'm not answering the phone? Nobody's answering the phone. How, why would you do this? Well, think about it from the standpoint of what if every time you called someone, you knew that they, you had their attention and they were going to be focused strictly on you. Now, if you kind of sell that to your clients that way, to be able to say, hey, this is why we're doing this. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's that I want to talk to you when I'm prepared to focus on what your issues are, maybe even come prepared to the meeting to answer your questions because you already put those that those pieces of information into the notes on the call when you scheduled it. So I know what you're calling about and I'm not just randomly calling you back at a time when you're busy and now I'm distracting you from something that you're doing. It just has helped so much that I recommend it to everybody. Now, if you're a solo shop, you're going to want to probably schedule some sort of office hours. So maybe it's, you know, a Monday mornings, you have your phone on while, where you answer or, or maybe not. I mean, it really is going to be up to you and your client base. But what I have found is not being a slave to the phone and that expectation that you need to answer the call all the time really was a myth because as soon as I switched to this, my clients prefer it. My new clients that are coming in, the first thing that they're told is schedule a discovery call with me. And that allows us to, like I said, focus your time and control your calendar. So the third thing that I want to recommend to do before the end of the year or as you're starting the new year is to start making a doable daily to-do list. Now, there's a couple factors in that statement. There's doable, which means that is something that you can actually accomplish, and daily, which means you're not just creating a giant list of things to do at the beginning of the week and trying to mark those off. You really need to have something that you have thought about and put down on paper every 
single day of what you want to get done. Now, I've used multiple techniques over the years. Um, For a long time, I used just a worksheet that I would print out that was blanks of the six most important things to get done today. And I believe that was probably somebody out of somebody's book, and I do not recall whose, but I have had these blank worksheets that I would print out, and every morning or in the evening before I wrapped up for the day, I would list the six most important things to do today. And that could be that it's a project. It could be that it was, you know, review a tax return. It could be that it was get to my dentist appointment. There were lots of things that could get onto that six most important things list. And it really worked to focus me. Now, now I use what's called the daily big three. And I think there's multiple people that really promote this as a a good habit to be in. And I work with a full focus planner, which is from from full focus, which is the name of the company used to be Michael Hyatt. And he's written some books that I do love, like free to focus is a is a great one. But the calendar planner that I use that comes from them has a daily place where you can list your big three for the day. And now those big three things are designed to help you get the weekly big three things done. And those weekly big three things should be focused on getting to your quarterly goals. So there's a strategy behind it. But what I found the most important part of this is that it forces you to stop and think about what's important to get done and not just get things marked off your list. It is impossible for us to get everything on our to-do list done every day. It's impossible. You cannot do it all every day. And I say that especially from the standpoint of having a busy season. There's more work coming in and we are compressed into this short filing season that We just, you cannot get every single thing that comes in off your list every day. Now, the biggest thing about having this list initially with those six most important things that I did and now with the daily big three is that when distractions come in, which they will, whether somebody knocks on your door, whether you take that phone call because you're not subscribed to that do not disturb yet or whatever it is, it gives you some place where you can actually look back at this list and see what you should be focused on. So it drives your focus and that is extremely important. Keeps you on task with the most important things you've identified to get done in that day. Now, I feel like a a list for the whole week is too big. If you got three things done a day, that's 15 things in a week, that's great. That's 15 items off your list. But most of us, when we create our to-do list, we put the whole project on there and not the 10 steps that it's made up of. And so if you just have due tax return, well, there's so many steps to doing that tax return you can focus on getting to the most important part to get done. Maybe the most important part right now is to get the documents scanned in. Maybe the most important part is to request the missing information from the client. You know, the things that are going to keep the project moving forward. So if you just put do the tax return, 
that is more than one thing. It's a, that's a project and it's not necessarily, it's something that you want to accomplish in the week probably, but it may not be something you can get done every single day without breaking it into steps. So create that list. And most of you, if you're anything like me, when you mark something off your list as in having gotten it done, it's kind of a, an endorphin hit. You know, you're like, Ooh, I got that off my list. And it's more of a hit and a boost to you when it's something that is moving the needle and not just those little, I shouldn't say unimportant because everything we do for our business is important in some respect, whether it's backstage or front stage or whatever it is, but you have to prioritize. And that's probably the hardest thing to do. And to start that prioritization by taking the time at the beginning of the week to figure out what are the three big things I need to get done this week. And then daily, what are those three things I need to do that will get those projects off my list this week? That's the best you can do. I think it's a it's a habit for sure. So you have to figure out when's the best time for you to review those items. Is it at night before you, you know, shut down your computer for the night? Or is it first thing in the morning before you start go, go, going and, you know, your first meeting, your first phone call and all the things? I pretty much do this in the morning. Every morning before I start actually taking any meetings or taking any calls with my cup of coffee, I am reviewing my big three. I'm looking at the day before to see, did I get them done or do I need to carry something forward? Because even with only three things on your list, you still may not get them done. You get the opportunity at that point to decide, does it need to carry forward or has it been bumped down the priority list and something else has taken precedence? Now, you don't want to get too crazy about that, except at the end of the week, you know, how'd you do on on getting your weekly goals accomplished? And you want to kind of review that and say, okay, was that really truly the goal that was the priority or not? And what I think you will find is that there will be some things that you tend to procrastinate more frequently than other things. I know I am a big procrastinator, always have been. I was the one in high school and college that was waiting till the night before the paper was due. But now that I have my own business, it is something that procrastinating doesn't really do you any favors at all. But you do have to work on prioritizing. So I would say, make sure that you are reviewing those at least, you know, writing them down daily, whether you choose a a six most list or a daily big three or whatever skill that you have developed, start working on it and trying it for a period of time. And I would say a month, a week's not long enough to create that habit on making a daily doable to-do list. So you want to really try it for a month. And This is a great time to start. You're at the beginning of the year. You're rolling into what could be a very, very busy time for your business that it makes the most sense to really get focused. So those are those three things that I think you can still do before the end of the year to really make a dent in your tax season. You want to schedule some days off, give yourself something to look forward to, block off an overflow day or overflow hours, whatever you can feel comfortable doing, I think you should take a whole day. 
and start making a doable daily to-do list. Well, in addition to that, I have a couple of bonus things that probably aren't things you can necessarily get done before tax season really gets rolling. But I wanted to mention, because I talked about it, talking about not taking phone calls, and that is using some sort of scheduling software. Calendly, we use Bookings, which is from Microsoft. There's Acuity, some sort of electronic calendar that links in. It's a scheduling software that links into your electronic calendar. And it's great because you can have links to booking your appointments for different types of appointments, whether it's a tax drop-off appointment, whether it's a QuickBooks training appointment, um, a Zoom call, whatever you want, you can set these up and you can provide some links in your website. You can embed the links in your email signature. You essentially, like I said, I put it on my voicemail that say, hey, go go to this site and book a call with me. It was super easy to set up. And that has made such a huge difference in allowing me to have complete control over my calendar. I would say controlling your calendar is the number one thing you can do to increase your productivity and really keep your mindset in a more positive place. I know there's been times when, you know, that you see who's calling on the caller ID and you're like, oh, oh man, I don't really have time for this, but I I need to pick up the call. Well, your client hears it in your voice (laughs) and your mindset, as soon as you pick up the call, is already kind of overwhelmed and not really interested in dealing with this because you're so busy. And so as soon as you have control over your calendar and your phone calls relating to your client work or anything else, it will change your mindset. It's it's amazing. I turn my phone back on, you know, when I'm expecting the call that is coming in that has been scheduled onto my calendar. And it works phenomenally for me. The other bonus thing I would suggest, if you are using some sort of project management software, whether you're by yourself or you have a team, is to start leaning into that. Lean into it a little bit more. Don't just put your tax returns that are due or your month-end work that is due. Put all the things on there. You know, if there's a, a project that came in this week, somebody emailed you and said, hey, can you t- take a look and see if I qualify for this grant or this loan or this whatever? And you want to take that, you want to add that to your project management software, give it a deadline, give it a time, amount of time you think something's going to take. And once you've got it on there, you can then go in and break the project down into smaller tasks if you need to. If you have a team, you can delegate to somebody, but don't just use it as a due date list for returns and for month ends and for sales tax and for payroll. Use it for all the things that come in. Things like I need to update my website. So I'm going to add that to my project management software so I don't lose sight of it. And once you start adding some time estimates to all of your projects, you can see that you can't possibly get all of this done 
in one day or one week or any of those things. It, it really allows you to get in touch with reality on how long some things take. Now, you, obviously, you want to be leveraging what you can as far as using applications that can help speed things up and all those things. But things take time. And I think sometimes in our industry, we are so focused on the time that something takes that we're, but we're a little afraid to admit exactly how long. So, okay, so the fastest person on your team who loves to do payroll can process payroll in 12 minutes. Okay, let's make that what happens when it's not the fastest person on the team? What if it's somebody who's filling in for the fastest person? How long should you allow for that? And should you manage to actually allow for the fact that, you know, yes, in the best circumstances, it can be processed in 12 minutes, but the website didn't work or you didn't get the hours in time or the client says, oh, can you go in and pull the timesheets and enter them for me this week because I'm sick? There's lots of things that factor into that. So just using your best guess on how much time something should take isn't always accurate. So I would say, you know, if if you think it should take 12 minutes to run payroll, I would say you're going to put at least 20 minutes in because you need to allow for changing projects and all of those things. But you can, if you have a project management software, you can assign those times to things. And then when you pull up, okay, what's got to get done today, and that exceeds the time you were planning on working, then you know, one, you probably need help. And two, maybe you're doing things that somebody else could do, which is my last bonus tip, which is during this season, this busy, busy season, start a list of things that someone else could do and make this for something that this is the last tax season, you're going to do these things. And that allows you to kind of look at things from a standpoint of, I don't need to be doing this, you know? Somebody on my team can do this, or I could outsource this, or there's an app that manages this. And you're not going to implement, I don't recommend implementing a whole, whole bunch of new stuff as you're going into your busy season, but you're going to make that list so that you know what you want to be focusing on before tax season rolls around again. It's going to be things like, one, one of my things was when someone comes in to pay for their tax return. They have to pay for it when they pick it up. So before the pandemic, we had a lot more people that were actually showing up and they would want their credit card run. Well, so I would have to stop and go run their card and all these things. And or they would call in and say, oh, here's my credit card. Can you run my card? And and I was doing that. And so I got to the point where I was like, I don't need to be doing that. That's really not any value add to my client that, yes, it's a value to for them to be able to pay me by credit card, but I don't have to be the one that's processing it. So we've come up with some things where, you know, some of it is automated where they can just pay online. We have some that when they still come in, you know, my administrative assistant can run the cards. And that was something that had to come off my to-do list. Other things would be, you know, organizing the scanned documents So every year we have lots of documents that come in in order to prepare a tax return. And we finally adopted 
an application that, you know, it gets scanned in. Nobody has to look at it ahead of time. Somebody on the other end, it gets sent through the application, through our tax software. They organize it into the order that we want it, and they send it back to us. So that was something that we were spending hours and hours and hours organizing the documents ahead of time, ahead of the scanning. Then we were reorganizing them inside. We were bookmarking. We were doing so many things to these PDF files. And we've managed to take that off of my list. That becomes something that we have really outsourced. And you can do these things. You, you can use apps, like I mentioned. You could hire a virtual assistant that could help you with some of these things. Or if you have team members, especially if there is client work that you always do, but you really don't need to do it, that somebody on your team could do it just as well. And in a lot of cases, especially in my world, a lot of my team members are much better at some of these things than I am as far as just being organized with them and very detailed and faster. And you figure out what to put on that list that someone else could do. And that will, one, give you things that you're going to be focusing on after tax season. But two, you're working towards things that will start to save you time during the next season. I feel like you should have this list going every single year, kind of like your your list of things that need to be fixed after tax season. This is things that you just need to be delegating or something that anything that someone else can do. With all of that said, I would say, you know, you do not have to be upset about the fact that it's almost tax time. This is a very, very busy time for the accounting industry. And especially if you are preparing W-2s, uh, 1099s, you know, January is going to be here just around the corner and workload will feel like it has doubled or tripled, but it doesn't have to be a big negative thing. You know, look at it from the standpoint of protecting your calendar, protecting your mental health, schedule that that time off, that guilt-free walk in the sunshine, and start working towards only doing what only you can do. That was taught to me in a class uh, many years ago. It was maybe probably five or six years ago through the Woodard Institute. And that was one thing that stuck with me so much that you should be figuring out how to get yourself to only doing what only you can do. And that means that, you know, you're not the only one who can run a credit card. You're not the only one who can reconcile a bank statement. You're actually not even the only one who can review a tax return. So if you look forward to protecting your calendar, protecting your mental health, and figuring out what things only you can do, you'll start to build that firm that feels like, yep, tax season is busier, but it is not this big, this, it's not something you should dread anymore. It doesn't have to suck. All right, everybody. I wish you a very, very happy new year. And I hope that this gives you some insight into making some small steps into planning that you can still do before things start to get super busy. 
And I look forward to talking to you next week. If you need me, you know where to find me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I always end my weekly team meetings with have a great week. If you need me, you know where to find me. And I realized I said that. And with this whole podcasting thing, it's new and you may not know where to find me. Go to accountingwithconfidence.com and while you're there, sign up for six easy ways to reclaim time in your accounting firm and that will keep us connected. Have a great week.